Welcome to Illuminating the Scriptures, a study of Nevi'im. In this series, we explore the words of the prophets and delve into the meaning and significance of these sacred texts. The book of Isaiah, Sefer Yeshaya, chapter 8, verse 21 through chapter 9, verse 6. This passage is a continuation of what we have been discussing in the past few passages the prophet is talking about a situation that is present, but it's, it's going to lead to something in the future. In the present, King Achaz was being threatened by two kings, and God had already told him that he'll be saved from that threat. But a future threat is going to come, and that is the king of Assyria, and that is going to be a serious trouble. This whole threat and salvation is set up as a two options given to the people. Are you going to follow the house of David, which represents submission to God and loyalty to God? Or are you going to look up to the concept of a king who rules with material power, with military might, with with strength that's measured in the material world? Ahaz himself, the king of Judea himself, the wicked king, was someone who even though he was a Davidic king, biologically, but his mind and the way he thought was that you need military might to, to really be a king. And it seemed like many people in the Judean kingdom didn't appreciate what they had, and they did not appreciate what the Davidic king represented. So the previous passage had described this stumbling block, that this conflict between the two types of king or the two types of really the two outlooks on life present to the people and the, this is uh, continuing now the prophet the prophet is continuing this concept now and he's describing what will happen when the assyrian king will come now the point of the assyrian king is these people had looked up to military might and god says okay i'll bring something that is so powerful in a military sense it'll crush you and that's the assyrian king and the prophet is now describing how the land will look, or when the, when the Syrian king approaches, how frightening it will be for the Jewish people at that point. Verse 21, chapter 8, verse 21. He'll pass through her, her meaning the land of Israel. Niksha, a troubled person, and a hungry person. In other words, there'll be hunger and there'll be trouble. People will be frightened and, and, and uh, troubled because the, the situation will be so threatening. It will be when he's hungry and he gets frustrated. They'll curse their king and their god. In other words, they'll realize the futility of the of, of their way of life, meaning says to lean on a powerful king, because you're going to lean on a powerful king, a more powerful king will come and crush you. And they will turn upward, they will turn, they will turn to God. In other words, they'll realize that that's the place to turn to. This doesn't indicate a true repentance, it just indicates a recognition that leaning on their own powerful, quote-unquote, kings was, was an exercise in futility. Verse 22, They'll look to the earth, Behold trouble, and darkness, a trouble that's wrapped in darkness, Vafela and a, a, a blackness menudach that scatters people, this or that pushes people away. 
that puts people away from the land. This language parallels what we read in chapter 5, verse 30, where again, it, the prophet is describing the same concept. It's describing the, the same event, actually. It's describing the approach of the Assyrian king, and he uses similar words to describe the feeling of terror and fear that the people, and hopelessness, that the people will experience when this king approaches. Verse 23, Kiloi muaf, there is no weariness, there's no tiredness, lasher mutsakla, to the one who's set to oppress her. And again, this, this language is, again, describing the Assyrian king coming with all of his uh, strength without any hesitation. And again, this is a language that had been used before, similar language in chapter 5, verse 27, describing the approach of the Assyrian king. Ka'es Harishain, this first time, Heikal, he dealt lightly. Artsa Zavulun, Artsa Naftali. In other words, the Assyrian kings invaded the land of the ten tribes. And it, this was in several stages. So in the earlier stages, they didn't fully destroy or exile the land. They sort of dealt lightly with the land. They only touched upon the regions of two of the tribes, which is Zavulun and Naftali. But Va'achrain Hichbid, this last time, he will deal heavily or he will utterly sweep away. Two ways to interpret that word, Hichbid. Derechayam, Eivar Hayarden, Glulagayim the road of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, which generally refers to the east bank of the Jordan, Glilagayim, the region of the nations, this is an understanding that the Assyrian king, when he's coming this latter time, he's going to travel by the road of the sea, which could be understood either along the Mediterranean, along the Kinneret, Yarden, he'll remove the tribes that are on the eastern bank of the Jordan, Glilagayim could be understood, the, the region of the nations could be understood a reference to the to the fullness of the ten tribes, the various, which sometimes the tribes are referred to as nations, or the fact is that the king of Assyria, he uh, he didn't just limit himself to rolling up or removing uh, the the northern kingdom. He he fought with the king of Ethiopia, the king of Egypt. He rolled up and he he uh, went through, and he his, his devastation hit many nations. Chapter 9, verse 1, is now describing the, even though this king of Assyria is so powerful and so threatening, but the people who trusted in God are going to be saved from his scourge, and, and the, the whole experience will put them in a different place, in a better place. Chapter 9, verse 1, Ha'am, the nation Ha'ilcham Bacheshach, that had been walking in darkness. In other words, there was no physical hope for them. It was, their, their situation was hopeless from a material, this-worldly standpoint. Ro or Gadol, they saw great light. This is describing the destruction of the army of which it, it got miraculously destroyed. It's described actually in three places in, in Scripture. In, as it, later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, 2 Kings 19, and 2 Chronicles 32. Those who sat in the in the in the dwell in the land of darkness or, or the dark the shadow of death, a light shined upon them. you have given this verse two. You have given greatness or honor to the nation. Unto him you have increased the joy. Some they rejoice before you, like the joy 
of the harvest. Like, like people rejoice when they divide the spoils. In other words, these people who were threatened and seemed in a hopeless position towards a Syrian king, they will not only be saved from the king, but they'll be, they will they will receive great honor. They will because because they were miraculously saved. The nations that surrounded them and, and saw this happening recognize that God did this miracle on behalf of uh, the, the the Jewish people, and they they received honor. And the joy that they had was unbelievable joy, just like the joy of after a season of toiling, you you harvest your grain, or after a a, a difficult battle when you divide the booty. So the, the, when you divide the spoils, that's the type of joy they will have. Key, this verse 3. Key as el subale, the yoke that they had to bear, that the yoke of, of his burden. Besmate shechmai, the staff that had 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 beat him on the shoulder. Sheva tanoi the scepter that oppressed him. And these are all descriptions of the king of Assyria, that they put a burden upon them. It was a staff of rulership that was on the shoulder of, of the Jewish people, and it was a scepter that, that oppressed them. Hachitaisa, you crushed them. Kiyoy Midian, like the day of Midian. There's a reference to, in the book of Judges, when Midian had oppressed the Jewish people, and they got crushed miraculously. This is in the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. Kichol Sa'in, Sa'in Barash. Different ways of interpreting this, this the word Sa'in and Sa'in, are not typical words. It, it could mean the noise of war, or the the marching of war, or the the event of war. Generally, works with noise. The similar and the garments are drenched in blood. In other words, this is verse four that normally when there's a battle and there's a victory or a defeat, there's, there's a tremendous noise and there's a lot of blood. But but in this case, they'll be burning, consuming by fire. Because no one fought physically. What happened was, as it's described in, in later on in the book of Isaiah, 2 Kings 19 and 2 Chronicles 32, the angel of the Lord came and smote the camp of the Assyrian king, and there was some miraculous burning that took place. This The reference to burning is described in later on in chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, again in chapter 30, verse 31, and in chapter 31, verse 9, later on in this book, it, th- this concept of the Assyrian king being destroyed by fire. Verse 5, Ki, a child has been born to us. Bain, a son has been given to us. The government is on his shoulders. So the point over here is, is that this miracle is happening because of the prayer of a righteous king. At the time that this prophecy is, is that Isaiah is speaking this prophecy, the, the, the one who sits on the throne of the house of David is a wicked person named Ahaz. And the prophet is saying that the event that I'm describing in the future, where Jerusalem will be miraculously saved, will happen through this child, through this child, who is now a child, but at that point he'll be the king, and that's Hezekiah, and the government will be on his shoulders, and it'll be a different type of government. It won't be the government of Ahaz, which rejects what the Davidic kingdom truly stands for. Rather, it'll be a king that 
represents what the Davidic kingdom stands for, and he'll live that in Hezekiah. Vayikra Shemai, his name will be called. Now, my understanding is when it says his name will be called, it's similar to what we have in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 11. This is the mark that he will make. In other words, no one called his name by the terms that will follow. Rather, the mark that he will make, this is how he will be remembered. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Across shame of Eslachem, call a name in, the, in, in Bethlehem. It just means that you'll make your mark there. You will be remembered over there. And this is how Hezekiah is remembered. Pela Yayetz is counseling a wonder, he's planning a wonder. El Gibar, the mighty God. Aviad, the father of eternity. Sar Shalom, prince of peace. Different ways of understanding how this applies to Hezekiah, but on a simple level, Hezekiah, we look back in history, he the, the miracle that God did for Hezekiah was, uh, was stupendous, and it made it an unbelievable mark, and until today, it's remembered as an unbelievable wonder that God planned, and this was representative of the work of a mighty God, and incidentally, the word, the name Hezekiah literally means mighty God, and the point of it is that the might of God was revealed in his times, and through his prayer. It was Hezekiah's prayer, as described later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, and the ensuing chapters, the following chapters over there, how the story is described, that the king of Assyria was crushed. Aviad, the father of time, meaning to say is, or the father unto eternity, is because another miracle was done at that time, is that God actually moved time back for Hezekiah, and is described in detail later on in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 38, in chapter 38, verse 8, he, 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 he brings the son back, he adds on 15 years to Hezekiah's life. In other words, God showed his control over the creation, the, the creation, the entity called time, which is something that God generally, even with miracles, doesn't tamper with. And he showed himself through Hezekiah as the father of time, Sar Shalom, prince of peace. There was peace in Hezekiah's days. Lumar Beha Misra, this is verse 6, to the increase of the government, Shalom and Kates, to peace without end. Without end doesn't have to mean literally without end. We had the same expression, chapter 2, verse 7. It means an abundance of peace. On the throne of David and his kingdom. To establish it. And to support it. To strengthen it. With justice and charity. From now unto eternity. The zeal the focused energy uh, and the passion of the Lord of hosts, Tassazites will do this, will accomplish this. In other words, Hezekiah will make it very clear to all of mankind and all of future history what it is that the throne of David truly stands for. The, when we look back today at the throne of David, the Davidic dynasty, Hezekiah's miracle that happened outside the gates of Jerusalem, that this mighty army was crushed, and Hezekiah didn't fight him, he just trusted in God. This this gives us to understand what it is that it, the Davidic king stands for. You do justice and charity, you follow God's laws, you follow God's precepts, the spirit of God's law, and God protects you. And you, you don't have to gather yourself a mighty army, you don't have to fight, you don't have to be politically well-connected, you have to trust in God and follow his... his, his uh, what he will live God's will, which is justice and charity. And this is what the Davidic kingdom stands for, and this is what Hezekiah accomplished. And it was the zeal of God, obviously, that accomplished it through Hezekiah and in the times of Hezekiah.